So I'm Hayden Vandercrook. I joined the union my first day of my apprenticeship in 2015. So I started working uh, probably around 2011 um, in fast food. Um, and obviously conditions and stuff aren't that great, but you don't know much better when you're like 15 or 16 years old. Um, and then the company went into receivership and was brought by another bloke who was like just would miss staff's pay or pay people late um, just willy-nilly shut stores down for a few days um, so I kind of took it upon myself as like a 17 18 year old to write to this bloke and point out clauses in the agreement and stuff around pay and the notice we need if he needs to change payday and things like that from the workers they loved it even like the store managers and stuff because I cc'd every store into it and the general manager and things like that and they thought it was great that I had the balls to contact the bloke that owns the company and tell him what he's doing wrong um, but he obviously his reply back was you should just be grateful that I brought the company and that you still have a job in the end I was a casual manager there so when other managers were sick or they needed spots filled I'd travel to a store and fill in for the day mm -hmm. um, and then quit the week I started my apprenticeship and so when I had the opportunity to actually join a union that represented workers, I jumped on it straight away. So had you learned much about unions at home growing up? Talk about politics that much at home, um, but dad was a union representative and workplace health and safety representative when he was younger at the brewery. Um, and my grandma used to work for OHS when they were part of the QCU back in the early 2000s. Um, so she had a lot to do with writing workplace health and safety legislation and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really know about that until I became an active union member. Yeah. So I, I guess it was there inside me and I didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. So you joined the union on your very first day of the apprenticeship. What did that day look like? Yeah, so we had, um, at the time, Scotty Reichman was the apprentice coordinator for the ETU. Um, and I started at Electro Group where the apprentice coordinator gets the opportunity to come in during our induction week, um, introduce themselves and explain what the union is and what they do. Um, and obviously before he even started talking, I was filling out the paperwork ready to go. And when did you become a really active member of the union? So I actually, I wasn't involved um, like actively in the union until my third year, second year of my apprenticeship. Um, when I was working on a job with Tommy Campbell and he was the HSR and also looked after the apprentices on that job and just seeing the passion he had and the things that he was able to achieve um, as well as Steve Bravo who's now an organiser seeing what they could achieve together really pushed me to become an active member. Was there specific work they were doing around that time, working safe? What was it that really inspired you to become a more active member? Yeah, just um, safety ensuring, like, even little things that a lot of people might brush off. You know, if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. And they just held down that job so well, like, the bosses didn't have an inch to take. So when did you get involved in the youth crew? Um, probably around the same time I met um, Tommy and Bravo. Jimmy Little was also on that job towards the end. Um, and, yeah, kind of just 
fell into it, I guess. And were you involved in social issues before you joined the union? No, I'd always felt strongly about social issues, but I guess I never really had the confidence to go out and actually do something about it. And then finding a bunch of like-minded people with the ETU really helped me gain that confidence to be able to go out and pursue these social causes, I guess. Mm -hmm. And if you were to talk to someone who might currently be in the position that you were in then, do you have any specific advice you might give them? Attend a meeting at the office. We have sub-branch meetings every quarter. We have youth crew meetings. Um, this year, I think we're scaling it back to every quarter because it was getting a bit too much every two months. Um, but just come along and try and get active because you'll find out that there's a lot of people that have the same values as you. And what are some of your pivotal or strongest memories around social issues you've taken on with the youth crew? Yeah, I guess the biggest one um, was when we got involved with the KP120, which was the 120 refugees um, held up at the Kangaroo Point Central Apartments in indefinite detention. Um, so during the start of the pandemic, these men started protesting out front of their balcony because they weren't allowed visitors anymore. Um, the hotel was in lockdown. So they were dropping banners, um, dropping signs down, and the community noticed and started doing like a walking picket. It's obviously you're only allowed out for exercise or essential activities. So they started walking around the block picketing um, and that turned into, sorry, they went to move some of the men to Bida, which is the secure location near the airport. Um, and a bunch of activists stopped that transfer and set up a picket 24-7 um, that went for quite a few months, like I'm thinking three or four months. They were out there every night. Um, and I found out about it and reached out to some youth crew members and we decided that that was something that we were willing to go and support. So we reached out to the organisers of that and started getting involved, attending their protests, attending the picket lines, filling in at night time when other people couldn't be on the picket line. Um, yeah, that was a real pivotal moment, especially after more than half the men in Kangaroo Point have now been released into the community. That was, that was something to be proud of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, it started oh, March or April and protests were ongoing, like probably until into 2021. And obviously that's a really long time to be involved in something like that. Social activism can be really draining. Was there any ups and downs in terms of energy from the supporters? Yeah, definitely there were. Um, I think the, the biggest um, moment around that was when we originally planned to occupy the Story Bridge um, and obviously Queensland Police did everything they could to stop that so we decided to just have a rally out front and that turned into a protest march um, down around the block where the police tried to kettle everyone um, and we managed to break through the kettle and regroup out the front of the Kangaroo Point Hotel um, and then obviously there were definitely times where there was not much of a presence there at all, but it really take, especially like the staunch community activists that were there for weeks on end, like without going home, just staying there for those men, definitely took a toll on them. Do you think it's widely understood by the 
general population, the community that uh, unions like the ETU are involved in those types of social issues? Um, I honestly don't think a lot of the community sees the social issues that unions get involved in. I mean, I think the only time people from the community see what the unions are doing around social issues are either unionists or people involved in those issues or people that are diametrically opposed to those issues. But obviously they're going to be opposed to unions as well. I don't think the broader community really has an understanding of the social justice issues we take up as well. And social justice issues are really key and important part of being involved in the youth crew? Yeah, definitely. It's something we all feel strongly about is being able to go out there um, and fight these social justice causes. And were you particularly political growing up as a teenager? Not necessarily. I was kind of apolitical, didn't really care too much about it. I mean, the first time I was eligible to vote was 2013 when the Liberal Party got in and I honestly can't even remember if I voted in that election. Um, And then the Change the Rules campaign kicked off and it seemed like it was a really strong campaign that was going to actually change the government. So I was really heavily invested in that. I think I campaigned for over 12 months. on the Change the Rules campaign. There was about a three month period just before the election where I was working down in Grafton. Um, so I would drive down on the Sunday afternoon, come back the Friday afternoon, and then I'd get to see my partner for a day and then spend half a day campaigning before I head back down to Grafton. So I was really, really committed and involved into that campaign. Not necessarily because I agreed with all the values of the parties that supported the campaign, but just because I knew we had to get rid of this Liberal government. And how are you feeling in the lead up to this next election? Um, I feel like the Labor Party under Bill Shorten had some really, really good policies that have kind of gone to the wayside this election, but there's still some awesome policies that the Labor Party's committed to, like getting rid of the ABCC and the building code, which for construction workers is just a huge improvement on our working conditions. Like, it just allows us to put so many protections in our agreement that are currently illegal. Definitely keen to get involved and do some high-vis activities and door knocking. I think most of the country is sick of Scott Morrison and his ilk at the moment. I think our biggest issue is gonna be micro parties and the likes of Pauline Hanson and. Clive Palmer, who's spending $100 million on an advertising campaign to funnel votes to Scott Morrison. And what do you think is the biggest threat to workers if the LNP is re-elected? I think um, really cementing in the insecure work culture that we have at the moment, where less than 50% of the country has access to sick leave because they're not in permanent employment. I think that, you know, we we used to be home of the sickie and the early knock on Friday and reaching out and helping your mate. And I think that's all gone to the wayside under successive Liberal governments. So have you worked in labour hire before? Yeah, so I finished my apprenticeship uh, in 2019 um, and then had about a 12 month period where I was working in labour hire um, before I landed a full time job thankfully with an EBA employer. Um, But that 12 month period, I had about four months of work all up, Um, really scattered. Our savings were completely depleted 
before I managed to find full-time work. Um, yeah, not a great experience at all. At the time, there wasn't much work around. Um, all the big jobs had wrapped up. There weren't any more starting. Um, it really was an employer's market. Like They could offer you as little as $32 an hour casual and you'd happily accept it because it was either that or you had no job as an electrician. So the worst experience I had working for Labour Hire was doing an Aldi fit out down the road. Um, March 2020 at the height of the pandemic really, like well the start of it. Uh, I rocked up to the job and there was two porter toilets that had no water, no soap and the bowls were full. Um, so I, I approached my boss and or my foreman on that job and asked him if he could have a word to the builder and get that sorted because obviously if we've got to go to the toilet, like that's taking out productivity on the job. But I mean, it's also just inconvenient for everyone having to jump in your car and drive 10 minutes down the road to go to the toilet on a construction site. Plus it's a pandemic. We were instructed to wash our hands every 30 minutes. We had no access to water or soap, so we couldn't do that. Um, and that didn't get resolved. So the next day I approached the builder and asked them what's going on. Like, this isn't acceptable. And pretty much got told, that's it, take your tools home. So that was the end of that job? Yeah. So how long did you do it for? One and a bit days. Were there many times when you were working alongside directly employed workers on that job? Yeah, so a few times, well, most of the time I was working alongside directly employed workers. Um, some of them were getting paid the same hourly rate as me, even though I was a casual employee. Some of them were even getting paid more than me, even though I was a casual employee. You know, they, they all understood how wrong it was and they understood that at any moment their boss could sack them all and hire them back through the labour hire company he's using and save a heap of money. But obviously at the time when there's not much work going around and they can do that, you're not going to speak up about anything. Mm -hmm. so, even so even when a worker is not employed through labour hire, there is still a threat that labour hire poses. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if a labour hire employee refuses to do a job that's dangerous knowing they're going to get sent home the next day, it's going to be on the boys that are directly employed to carry on with that task and they've just seen what happens if you speak up about it. Mm -hmm. Do you think in an ideal world there actually is a place for labour hire if they were able to, if we were able to crack down on their policies and conditions? Realistically, there's probably a need for labour hire. I'd rather see people directly employed as casual employees for a short term rather th than through a third party. I just see it as them skirting liability, I guess. There's, there's no purpose to us for labour hire companies existing. You know, if you're on a job and you have a push going on and you need six extra blokes for four weeks, you could easily employ them as casual employees for those four weeks instead of going through a third party where then you've, you know, you've pushed your liability of employing them onto someone else. So it's someone else's issue if something goes wrong, it's not your issue anymore. And obviously you've talked about how labor, how working for labor hire impacted you at work. Were there any outside of work ramifications for working in casual jobs or for labor hire? Um, not necessarily with like getting finance or anything like that, but I guess, um, you know, being able to spend time with my friends and family. If you get told you need to come in on a Saturday, chances are if you say no, you're not coming in on Monday. 
So then you have to come in on a Saturday. You're sacrificing time with your friends and family. So if you came in on a Saturday, does that mean you would be paid penalty rates? Uh, so with the labor hire company I was with, they work at your, basically they can pay your penalty rates off the awards penalty rates. So even if your base hourly rate is higher than the casual award, which is, I think is around $34 an hour. So if you're getting paid $38 an hour, they only have to pay your overtime rates on the award minus your casual loading. So you could be getting paid a dollar an hour more on your time and a half rate than your normal time rate. And in your opinion, why should young workers join the union? I guess it's really your only chance to see true democracy in action. You know, we hold, it all starts from site meetings, youth crew meetings, you go up to sub-branch meetings, your state council, your state executive, like we've got a whole process to see any issue that you have raised followed through. Um, like, yeah, I guess, you know, you might not see democracy at the ballot box, you definitely don't see it at work, but you definitely do see it in your union. This podcast is produced by the Electoral Trades Union, Queensland and Northern Territory branch. Tune in next week for another episode.